Happy Wednesday, everybody, and welcome back to Get Your Goat. Yes, I was out the past week, busy, a lot of stuff to get done, but I am back. Happy to get on with another episode on the air with all of you. A lot to get into today. A lot I want to get into that has happened over today with the news of Jadavion Clowney signing with the Browns, what that means. Yesterday's news, news I've missed, stuff that I just want to share over the past week because I'm still watching sports. Just because I'm not doing a podcast doesn't mean I'm in hiding. I am still watching the NHL, watching the NBA, little free agent moves that's going on, draft considerations, all that and more. We got a great show in store, so we'll go ahead and get started. First, with the Cleveland Browns signing Jadavion Clowney. It was kind of expected that it would happen, but now it is in full effect and full force in what I believe is a great signing for the Cleveland Browns. To me, this signing puts the Cleveland Browns as the second Best team in the AFC. To me, they could easily be matching up with the Kansas City Chiefs next year come playoffs, come AFC Championship game. Right now, I see the Browns playing the Chiefs. I have the Browns bumping the Bills for the second top spot after Kansas City destroying the Bills the Browns at least hanging in there, making it close. Yes, Patrick Mahomes wasn't in half the game, wasn't feeling good even for the portion he was in. Uh, they, to me, match up better with the Chiefs than the Bills do. Because when you try to play uh, someone else's game, when they try to play the Chiefs game, uh, the Chiefs are just better. They will destroy you. Browns are Browns are much more balanced. On both sides of a football, especially with the free agent moves that they have made, uh, shoring up their secondary, signing Jadavian Clowney, uh, one of the best, if not the best, running back tandems in Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, a great offensive line, an ascending quarterback in Baker Mayfield, a great coach. I, I shouldn't say great yet, but a good coach in Kevin Stefanski. Uh, his first year was a tremendous success. He wants to build on this come year two. I see them matching up very well with the Chiefs. Uh, Browns have a bitter taste in their mouth after last year's playoff defeat. They want to match up against the Chiefs in a heavyweight showdown for AFC. And I see that happening. Uh, Just to real quickly before I get into more of that, the signing of Jadavion Clowney. With the Browns, his deal is worth up to $10 million, uh, which is less than he's got the previous two years for his signing with the Seahawks and with the uh, Tennessee Titans, where he was at last year. Now, last year, we'll short us up, Jadavion Clowney was not good last year. He was not his former self. Uh, he only played eight games. He was dealing with a knee injury uh, most of the year. Zero sacks, 
only 19 tackles. It was not a good campaign where he was hoping to reunite with his co-defensive coach from Houston, Mike Vrabel, have a breakout season and sign a huge contract. That did not happen. It was not what he expected. But he took another deal, like the one he took last year and the year previously, to prove he is still an elite defender, elite player in this league, like he was with the Houston Texans. Now in his career, he has 32 sacks and 255 tackles, 75 of those for a loss, which is pretty good for a defensive end slash outside linebacker who has dealt with kind of injuries. He's versatile. He's disruptive. He can play the outside linebacker in a 3-4 scheme. He'll play defensive end in a 4-3 scheme. He can even line up if a nose tackle rush from the inside. He is very, very disruptive, very versatile, just like Miles Garrett. Two great edge rushers, bull rushers, uh, great moves, swim moves on the inside to finesse some speed rushers as well. Uh, they're the total package. Yes, uh, Jadavian's more injury prone, but if he can just stay healthy on the field, they're not expecting him uh, to be this great player like the Tennessee Titans were expecting, like Seattle was expecting. They're expecting him to be the number two option like he was in Houston. He was a number two option in Houston. Why? Because they had J.J. Watt, one of the best defenders during that time period of players, and he was paired with him. And that's when he did great, when he was going to Pro Bowls in Houston, when he had uh, nine sack campaigns. He played opposite J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt was getting double teamed. You can't double team two players on the edge. That leaves a free rusher. You can't do that. That's how he's better. He's He cannot handle uh, the elite uh, offensive lineman, those kind of double teams in the NFL like he was used to breaking through in, in college. He's not that Aaron Donald level talent. Now, he's going to be playing opposite Miles Garrett, who draws double teams, who is one of the best defensive players, who is up for consideration for defensive player of the year last year. Miles Garrett is outstanding at least to me from a pass rush perspective. Double digit sacks in three straight years in one of those seasons, uh, the year before this past one, he was suspended half a season. He only played 10 games and he still registered 10 sacks. That's outstanding. Miles Garrett is a fantastic football player, an elite defensive player, pairing him with Jadavion Clowney where maybe they can miss some snaps, not take on such a heavy workload. The double team on Miles Garrett is going to be great for Jadavion Clowney. Opening up space, I see Jadavion having a great year this year with the Cleveland Browns, adding to this defense, adding to this pass rush. This is going to be a great year for the Cleveland Browns. As I know I've talked about on previous podcasts, uh, the secondary they signings, they have done with Troy Hill cornerback and Joe or John Johnson uh, safety to call that defense. That shores them up. The only weak spot they have is at linebacker. Uh, but when you look at other teams like the Chiefs, they don't have great linebackers. 
Uh, Bills don't have elite linebackers either. Uh, so really, in the coverage that they're doing, to me, linebackers are being phased out where you don't really run a 4-3 with linebackers anymore. You really only want two kind of middle linebackers after kind of just one is the zone spy guy all the time because uh, they're more likely to get burned in coverage guarding wide receivers and even tight ends now in the league. So the Browns can match up uh, easily with the Chiefs. To me, of course, Chiefs have a better quarterback in Patrick Mahomes, uh, the second best quarterback right now in the NFL. Uh, then you have the running backs, which you have to give to the Chiefs. Uh, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb are amazing. Uh, to uh, the Chiefs, you only have uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Le'Veon Bell's not re-signed. So you really only have uh, one guy who had a one good game. Then he was kind of inconsistent, dealt with injuries as well. COVID, the whole deal last year. So we can see what happens in year two. Wide receivers. Now this is where it gets tricky. Because Chiefs have Tyreek Hill, one of the best wide receivers in the league. Uh, but they don't have much depth behind him. They have Nicole Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, but I'm not really sold on those guys. I think they're great in special teams. Good running sweeps and little short routes, uh, curls and stuff like that. But can they run more than those type of routes? We don't know. Whereas the Browns have Odell Beckham Jr. was injured last year. But one of the best wide receivers in the game when fully healthy. I think he's going to come back really good. Jarvis Landry, who played amazing last year. Donovan Peoples-Jones, who really came together. Rashawn Higgins, to me, I'd have to go with the Browns as the whole wide receiver corpse. Tight end, Chiefs have Travis Kelsey. Uh, Browns have Austin Hooper. I'm sorry, uh, Austin Hooper, but Travis Kelsey is the best tight end right now. In the National Football League, they get the advantage. And then finally, offensive line goes to the Browns. They have one of the best, if not the best, offensive lines in football, uh, from tackles, guards, to center, all the way, whereas the Chiefs have a makeshift offensive line right now where they cut their two left tackles, signed a guard, signed a tackle, still need another tackle. What will happen there? So in the offensive categories, to me, I like the Browns' three than the uh, Chiefs, too. Then you have the defensive side of the ball. Uh, the defensive line. For the Chiefs, you have Chris Jones, a premier nose tackle to me, the second best one, to Aaron Donald. You have Frank Clark, who's a solid player. But with the Browns, you now have Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney, two crazy pass rushers. I am taking the Browns' defensive line over the Chiefs. Linebackers, they're both not good. I'd take that secondary, uh, but if maybe I'll choose the Chiefs uh, since they've been together. Uh, Steve Stagg is a defensive coordinator. Then, on the secondary, uh, you have Sneed, who's coming together on the Chiefs. You have the Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, who plays really well. Uh, Thornhill as well. But then... Uh, the Browns, you have Denzel Ward, uh, signed Troy Hill, signed uh, John Johnson. So really, this is a great secondary match for both teams. 
both have that good, strong safety, that signal caller out there on defense. Uh, both have a great uh, cornerback. I think uh, I'd have to go with the Browns right now and Denzel Ward over Snead. little inexperienced to me, but he has the makings of a star in the NFL. Uh, I'd have to go with the Browns, just a slight edge, but I do like the Honey Badger more. Uh, but really, these teams, to me, are really well-matched, uh, more balanced on the Chiefs are more balanced on the Browns and the pass-happy attack with the Chiefs. But then again, the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes. He's the X-Factor. I think even though I just stated that the Browns match up really well, I'm sorry, I still have to pick the Chiefs until I see this coming season of the Browns. But the Browns are making great moves. And really, with their moves, they've established themselves and the best in the NFC North, uh, even if they have... Stiff competition from the Ravens facing Lamar Jackson twice a year, who kind of has their number. Uh, the Steelers, Ben Roethlisberger coming back, Juju, TJ Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, and of course the Bengals, who know what we'll see with a fully healthy Joe Burrow. So it's going to be a great NFC North division. The AFC crown is going to be great to see who gets it. Of course, I'm going to go for the Chiefs, but the Browns, are right there, but signing of Jadavion Clowney helps that. Then, another move made in the NFL was the Cardinals signing running back James Carner from the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I thought this was a really under-the-radar move. At first, I thought, what are the Cardinals doing? Just draft a running back. Uh, You're better off drafting a young guy. But the more research I did, the more I looked into this. I see this as a potential dark horse kind of signing for the Arizona Cardinals, and I'll tell you why. James Conner now reunites with his position coach from Pittsburgh, where James Conner went to the Pro Bowl in Le'Veon Bell's absence when he decided to sit out. The 2018 campaign, James Conner was left as the main guy, rushed for almost a 1,000 yards, went to the Pro Bowl. Uh, He is now reuniting with his coach, who is airing the Arizona Cardinals. And I think that's great. I think it's great for the Cardinals because the Cardinals had Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds, but to me, they're basically the same player. Kenyon Drake is a little bit better than Chase Edmonds, but they're both that third down kind of running back there, you know, that pass uh, catcher out of the backfield. They're not, to me, you know, a third down workhorse or kind of that north and south football, north and south running type of mentality, whereas the Chase Edmonds, Kenyon Drake is the east and west, then turn up field. And I think this is great for the Cardinals since they lost Kenyon Drake to the Las Vegas Raiders, they now have another option at running back. They have James Conner, who can run north-south routes, but who is not a th- uh, full three-down type running back. He'll play the first two downs. Then they'll bring in Chase Edmonds. Opens up the passing game. James Conner can also play in the passing game, play with the screens. To me, Chase Edmonds can make a little more quicker cuts. It looks like he's a little bit more agile. James Conner has dealt with some injury history. Uh, he's not an elite running back in the football league, but if he can just be good for the Cardinals, that is all they need. 
Same with Chase uh, Chase Edmonds. I don't think this is going to be any crazy running back tandem like the Browns with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, but they can form a solid, formidable pairing uh, with the differentiating styles that these two players run the football with. So it opens up a lot more options for the Cardinals, I believe. Uh, they don't have to draft a running back now. I think they can focus on a quarter cornerback. Who I think it should be Patrick Sertan or J.C. Horn, if available. If not, maybe draft uh, a linebacker because they're good on the defensive line front. I think good in the safety front as well. Uh, but the Cardinals are making moves as well with the signing of A.J. Green. That's already happened a while ago. Uh, this team wants to compete in the toughest division in football, which is the NFC West. Cardinals doing their diligence, making sure, hey, it's not just going to be the Rams, Seahawks, and now the 49ers are will be champions since they're coming back for injuries. You're going to have to play and beat us too. We're the Arizona Cardinals. We're coming to the AFC crown, AFC or the NFC West crown as well. We have something to say, say about that, which I like from the Arizona Cardinals. We'll see how this season goes for them, but I think the signing of James Conner helps the Cardinals out a lot and will definitely fly under the radar. Hopefully it's not too far under the radar where we all forget about it, but I like that Cardinal signing. Now, shifting to the NBA. There was quite a few things that happened, and I want to mention that didn't do my show Monday, and if I did, I would have talked about the Lakers beating the Nets on Saturday. You might say, Josh, that wasn't a big deal. Contrary, it was a big deal. Why was it a big deal? Why? Well, the Lakers had no Anthony Davis, no LeBron James, and they still won. Yes, I know that the Nets had no James Harden, but Kevin Durant was back as a starter. Kyrie Irving was playing. So you had two superstars, two elite offensive superstars against the Lakers. Now, this game was close in the first half. Lakers kind of had the lead the whole half. In the second half, Lakers still had a little bit of a lead. Then all of a sudden... Uh, scuffle breaks out between Dennis Schroeder of the Lakers, who was their leading scorer at the time in that game, playing really, really well, uh, got into it with Kyrie Irving of the Nets. And they both got ejected, double technicals. Kyrie Irving was their leading scorer going into that as well. So to me, Lakers sixth man of the year, uh, Lakers, Dennis Schroeder, best scoring. He gets taken away. Kyrie Irving gets taken away. So now you're really left with Montrezl Harrell, no Kyle Kuzma either, playing against Kevin Durant. Can Kevin Durant do something about this to stop the bleeding? I mean, basically has nobody guarding him. Uh, Nets can come back. Uh, This could be it. But nope. The technicals proved better to be for the Lakers. They were the feistier team. They were the doggier team. They were the ones rebounding, getting the extra possessions, converting on their three-point chances, ran Kevin Durant 
out of a building since it was in Brooklyn. Ran him out with Anthony Davis and LeBron James laughing at him, laughing at the Brooklyn Nets in Brooklyn's own building. That's what happened. That's what I want to see. And to me, that was confirmation that the Lakers are the best team in the NBA when fully healthy. When Anthony Davis and LeBron James are back, ain't nobody going to be saying nothing about the Lakers repeating as NBA champions. Certainly not the Nets after what just went down. I don't care if James Harden's in there, Kevin Durant's in there, no scuffles are happening. It don't matter to me. Lakers will beat the Nets. To me, the only team that concerns me, Alpha East, is the 76ers and the way Joel Embiid is playing right now, the way they're constructed with Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, Danny Green, and them boys. That's the only thing I'm going to get, I'm all about to get into the Nuggets now having no chance in them. Uh, the Suns inexperience, the Clippers being the Clippers, and the Jazz also having inexperience. All those things point to the Lakers going to the NBA Finals again. That's what I gleaned from that win. That was my takeaway. That's what happened. What else happened? Well, the Warriors, the Golden State Warriors, beat the Nuggets amid Steph Curry's greatness on Monday night. Steph put on a show. I believe he uh, put up 53 points, shot 10 for 18, maybe 11 for 19 from three. Uh, broke Wilt Chamberlain's record for most points scored in the Golden State franchise. Steph was brilliant. That was a masterful performance, vintage, classic Steph, where he is just shooting up, pulling up, three after three, then walking back to the other side of the court to play defense, get ready. He knew how automatic his shot was. He knew his shot was going in. After this game, there's a lot of talk on Steph Curry. Is he the greatest point guard of all time? To me, no he isn't. Guess what? Magic Johnson's still a point guard. He ain't beating Magic Johnson. To me, he's in the realm, in the vicinity. Uh, But Magic Johnson's got a couple more titles up on him. Magic Johnson was special all around, uh, especially defensively as well. Uh, where Steph isn't that great defensively. He's a little undersized as a point guard. But other than that, if we're going to talk about straight shooting, he's the best shooting point guard of all time. He's the best shooter in the history of basketball. That's plain and simple. Uh, forget Clay Thompson now. Forget Ray Allen. Uh Reggie Miller, all the other three-point shooters out there. I feel bad for any up-and-coming three-point shooters because I don't think any of them 
will be as good as Steph Curry. I know we talked about, or people talk about, Trey Young uh, kind of being the next one, but the wild inconsistencies that he has, I'm sorry. It's Steph. I hate to say it because I'm not a Steph fan. I'm not. I don't want to sound like a Steph fan, but I'm just telling you what I am seeing, and that is Steph Curry's greatness on the basketball court. The way he has revolutionized the game to where people don't take mid-range jumpers anymore. That's dying. The long two is dying. It's, I want to shoot from the three-point line. I want to shoot from the logo now. Every kid wants to shoot from the three-point line. Everybody wants to shoot the logo. Nobody wants to work on layups, uh, free throws. They all The first thing you go out there and see is kids, people jacking up three-pointers if you were to just go out on a regular court overshooting threes. That's what it has become, the three-league. And that, to me, most credit goes to Steph Curry on that. But that wasn't the only takeaway from that game. The other takeaway from the Warriors beating the Nuggets is Jamal Murray, the point guard for the Nuggets, tore his ACL and is out the rest of the season for the Denver Nuggets. And what really is a huge loss for the Nuggets. Uh, it's not an unsurmountable loss. Uh, it is not their biggest loss, but it is their second biggest loss. Uh, Jamal Murray's not their best player. Uh, their best player is Nikola Jocic, the Joker, uh, who averages a double-double, close to averaging a triple-double. Who's fantastic. But they'll miss Jamal Murray's offensive firepower, uh, shooting 40% from three. They'll definitely miss that, especially come playoff time. Uh, with the regular season winding down, with them kind of locked into one of the top five spots that looks like the fourth or a fifth, that really hurts the... Nuggets, especially when they traded for Aaron Gordon, were primed on making a run in the West. Uh, to lose your starting point guard, to lose someone that efficient, hurts him so much. Now he's not as efficient as Jokic is when he's not on the court and it's just Jamal Murray. But losing Murray, uh, his leadership, how great he looked in a bubble last year, especially come playoff time. If we were to expect anything reminiscent of that come this playoffs, yes, this hurts the Nuggets. Nuggets are shot this season. Their season is shot. Uh, you can I can write them off. Not representing the West anymore. Not even a factor, at least to me. Yes, they have Aaron Gordon. Michael Porter Jr. will get more shots. Uh, Jokic will have to step it up even more. But it's not going to help. And it especially hurts the Nuggets this way. But it also helps the Lakers in the same way. As if the Nuggets are the four spot right now, I think they'll be locked in as a four and a five. A four or five, and the Lakers right now are a five, and I think they're locked into maybe a five, a four, depending on LeBron James and uh, Anthony Davis coming back anytime soon. But that would be the first round matchup: is the Lakers and the Nuggets. Lakers last year beat the Nuggets four to one in a playoff series. Then they added Aaron Gordon. The experience, you think, oh. 
you know, the Nuggets may be able to do it. They lose Jamal Murray. Now this looks like a very favorable matchup for the Lakers who can match up with the Nuggets. Uh, this is great for them. That would force the Jazz to play a team like the Trailblazers or, you know, one of those other teams uh, come first round. Uh, Mavericks, who knows what happens if they win. And then they play the Lakers, I like that. Uh, Clippers play one of those teams that I just mentioned, Mavericks. Trailblazers, same with the Suns, but if they both win, Suns versus the Clippers, that helps the Lakers out a lot, eliminating one of those two teams. Uh, wouldn't have to see one of them until the conference finals. That helps the Lakers out tremendously. And yes, it's sorry. I'm, it's sad to see Jamal Murray, who's sensational, and I enjoy watching him in his highlight reels over the course of the season and his games that he plays. Uh, but uh, the Net Nuggets have to find a way to advance despite hardship. Now, with all that being said, I'm going to give you my top five NBA teams right now. Number five, the Brooklyn Nets. Why? Well, they've won three out of their last four. But Kevin Durant is going to have to be the star. He's a starter back. He's healthy. Uh, Harden is injured. Kyrie, I don't even know if he wants to play basketball. Seems like he takes all these days off. It's like, you know, retire. Do your thing, Kyrie. You know, you know, leave. Bye-bye. Then he shows back up again. Drops all these points. And we're like, oh, he's so great. He's the greatest show in basketball. This guy is something else. Uh, then he leaves again, and it's like, you know, just go away, Kyrie. Uh, Kyrie's going to have to choose if he wants to play basketball or not. Uh, Kevin Durant is showing up. Uh, Kyrie needs to show up. Uh, he signed a contract. He's obligated uh, to play games. You know, it's like any other regular job. He only has to play 72 games this year. Yes, you have to work in between those games, practice, walkthroughs, all this stuff. Uh, but it's very similar to other jobs, you know, where you show up, you have to go through training, do other things to actually show up and perform. Same with Kyrie. If you're getting paid, uh, least you can do is show up and not ditch your team night in and night out. But they're number five. Number four, the Los Angeles Clippers. Why? Well, they've won five in a row. They're very hot right now. Uh, Paul George has been outstanding. Uh, to me, he's just a great regular season player. I want to know if that translates to postseason success, but that's why they have Kawhi Leonard because he is postseason success right there. But the Clippers will be without Patrick Beverly, is with he's without a fractured hand, so I think they'll miss him uh, most of the rest of the regular season. I think he'll be out three weeks, but that's kind of about the time the NBA season is wrapping up in four weeks. Number three, the Philadelphia 76ers. Why? They've won three out of their past four. Joel Embiid is looking like he's an MVP, averaging a double-double, playing amazing. Ben Simmons wants to make a case for Defensive Player of the Year, in which he is outstanding. Danny Green, Do Do uh, Tobias Harris is heating up, especially from the three, shooting really well. They're leading all teams in the East. 
So I've got the 76ers at the three spot. Number two, the Phoenix Suns. They've won three in a row, six of their past seven. Uh, Devin Booker is amazing. CP3, Chris Paul, also playing really good in the Suns. Everywhere he goes, he wins. Uh, everywhere he leaves, the franchise's winning percentage has increased. That's what he is doing right now in Phoenix. He is bringing that winning veteran mentality to the Suns. Number one is the Utah Jazz still, but the Suns are literally right behind them by a hair. But the Utah Jazz have won three out of the last four. Donovan Mitchell is an outstanding player on both ends of the floor, especially offensively. The touch that he has in his game. Uh, Rudy Gobert is a defensive player, even if Ben Simmons is making a case, is right behind him. Uh, Utah Jazz has definitely struggled more in the second half of the season, uh, especially since the All-Star break. But they have gained such a huge lead in the beginning that it is hard to overcome anything unless the Utah Jazz get in their own way. So there you have my top five NBA teams, the Brooklyn Nets, Los Angeles Clippers, Philadelphia 76ers, Phoenix Suns, and Utah Jazz. And tonight, I have my five versus three playing, which is actually for number one in the East, the Brooklyn Nets versus the Philadelphia 76ers. And you want to know who I'm rolling with tonight? The Philadelphia 76ers. Why? Well, simply put, just for this reason, there are simply too many players out for the Nets tonight. James Harden out for an injury. Kyrie Irving says he's not going to show up for this primetime showdown. LaMarcus Aldridge is out. Three big players for the Nets are out, where you have a fully healthy 76ers squad is out. Embiid averaging a triple, a double-double. Uh, his mid-range jumper has been on point. I know I talked about the dying aspect of that game, but Joel Embiid is bringing that back, especially for a center to have a mid-range game like Joel Embiid. Uh, That's MVP right there in itself. Uh, Tobias Harris, as I said as well, has been really, really well recently. Uh, The trade that happened a couple years and didn't look like it panned out, gave him a max contract. He's playing really well. He's really streaky, really good. I'm rolling with the Sixers tonight to solidify that number one spot in the East. Then after that, on ESPN right after that primetime game, you have another one of the Mavericks and Grizzlies. I'm rolling with the Mavericks just because I think Luka Doncic has got it, even though he's whining about the play-in tournament. Same with Mark Cuban. I don't like their attitude about it. Uh, I kind of want to roll with the Grizzlies just because of all this negative connotation associated with the Mavericks right now, but I think the Mavericks will show up and win the game tonight. Now, moving on to the NHL, and more money moves that happened. One of the biggest ones was the Washington Capitals trading forwards Jacob Verana, Richard Panic. Their first-round pick this year, and next year's second-round pick for Anthony Mantha of the Detroit Red Wings. 
a huge trade in what I think is a heist for the Red Wings. The Red Wings pull off a heist. Uh, they smoothed, schmoozed, whatever you want to say. Uh, this trade, Iserman pulled the strings on this one. Puppet Master of the Capitals got tremendous return for a solid player in Anthony Mantha. I think Anthony Mantha is really solid, but he is not that elite breakaway guy, especially in the Red Wing system. They're still rebuilding. They still have their number one piece in Dylan Larkin. Anthony Mantha is not of that caliber. Capitals traded for him. They traded a first-round pick, which is always valuable. Uh, so many players you can especially get in the late first round, which I think the Capitals have. Next year, second, you can still get a good pick. They shedded Panic's bad contract, uh, but Red Wings are happy to take that on. And the Red Wings got Jacob Verana, who's a really good player. I think he's really streaky. He's hurt my Pittsburgh Pain ones quite a few times in his short uh, career. And I think this was a great move, considering when you look at all the stats, the 5-on-5, the shooting percentage, the shooting efficiencies, uh, shots on net, uh, the abilities, you kind of have Verana. And Mantha is the same player. When you look at the stats, when you dive down just a little bit more, you have Mantha as a more consistent player. He brings those stats night in and night out. Well, Verana is much more streaky. He'll produce higher than Mantha for a few games, but then he'll go quiet. You know, for 13, 15 games where the Capitals want consistency right now, going into the postseason, they just want a player they can count on to bring that same level night in and night out. But how is he going to mesh? He's a younger player. How is he going to mesh with this old capital team? Uh, Zadino Chara, very old. Alex Ovechkin, getting older. TJ Oshie, getting older. Uh, Backstrom, getting older. He's going to a veteran team. How do they incorporate Anthony Mantha in there when lately none of their younger players have really worked out? That'll be exciting to say. I definitely think the Red Wings won this trade. I give them an A+. I give the Capitals a B-. Blackhawks made some moves, uh, just shedding some contracts like uh, Janmark uh, and others, Soderberg, uh, for draft picks and prospects. We'll see how this affects the Blackhawks now moving forward. Uh, are we still going to be in contention for that last spot in the playoffs, or do these moves take them out of that consideration? Another move was Jeff Carter of the Los Angeles Kings was traded to the Pittsburgh Penguins for conditional draft picks. I think this was a great haul for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He They didn't give up a lot, just conditional draft picks. Uh, none of them are first or second rounders, third and fourth, uh, which could turn into second and thirds. The Kings retain half of his salary as well, which is great. And Pittsburgh Penguins get Jeff Carter. Now, Jeff Carter is not who he used to be, the 35, 40-point goal-scoring uh, machine. Uh, but he was still playing on the second line of the Kings, uh, who are aging as well with Andre Kopitar, Drew Doughty, Quick, and Ben Boys uh, from their former glory days of the 12 and 14 cup runs. But Jeff Carter is still, uh, to me, a really solid player who can still skate decently. He's not Patrick Marlowe or Jerome Genlove past years where it was literally players on the last leg, I do think. Jeff Carter has a few more years in his belt, especially this year. If Evgeny Malkin comes back, 
Uh, Jeff Carter's only going to be on the third or fourth line, depending on how the Pittsburgh Penguins roll the dice and roll out their lines. Uh, but he can definitely produce with the talent on there, whether it be with Zucker or McCann, any of them. Uh, he's going to get production. He'll get shots on that. Uh, I think this will work out well for the Penguins. Then Taylor Hall to the Boston Bruins uh, in a crazy trade. I think one pick, uh, Bjork, and another Curtis Lazar as well. Uh, I didn't like this trade for Boston. and This, to me, uh, was a hyper-aggressive trade. To me, Boston Bruins had to do a lot more digging. Uh, to me, this is the, uh, I've got a hole in my boat, and I'm just putting a piece of tape over it, uh, hoping nothing happens to my ship. And that's basically what the Bruins do. Did They have a lot of issues. Uh, Tuka Rask and his health concerns this year, injuries. Uh, to me, they needed a solid backup as they're kind of rotating goalies right now. Uh, their defense hasn't looked good with Krug uh, leaving uh, as well. Their offensive depth behind uh, their top line of David Pasternak, Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand. This is what the Bruins kind of accomplished is can we get scoring behind our top first line with Taylor Hall? And to me, that's not going to happen. You see Taylor Hall this year. In the Sabres organization, two goals in 30-something games uh, wasn't good last year. With the Coyotes, uh, wasn't good either. Only six games, uh, six goals in the games that he played with them in a regular season. So no, uh, to me, Taylor Hall's career of MVP of the Devils is definitely going really, really trending downhill, downward spiral. Uh, The only thing that... Kind of, you know, brings Taylor Hall to mind is just that one MVP run uh, with the Devils. That's the only kind of trade and gambit that he has is getting back to actual MVP form since he's been there before. But I don't think he can do it with the Bruins with the way they are constructed. The Bruins need to focus more on draft, internal development of players other than trying to find a quick fix. So my top five NHL just teams playing recently... Combined with deadline moves, I will give them to you. Number five is the Tampa Bay Lightning. Why? Well, they're winning more than they're losing. They're tied for first above a tough uh, central division with the Hurricanes and Panthers. They made a big trade. To me, kind of gave up too much. They gave up a first-round pick for Davis Savard of the Blue Jackets. Savard's a good defenseman, but to me, he's not worth a first-rounder. Lightning going all in to repeat. As chance, they want him on that first line with uh, Victor Hedman. I think it's a good move, but I think they gave up too much for David Savard. Number four, the Vegas Golden Knights. Why? Well, they've won three in a row. Great goaltending tandem now working back with Leonard Healthy. Uh, Flurry to me so far. MVP shutouts playing really good. It's just... Uh, are we going to stick with one come playoff time, go with a tandem? I think it's better to pick one instead of seeing what happened in last year's playoff. And now you have uh, the captain, Mark Stone. Is he going to step up as well? Number three, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Why? Over top in the north, they made a big trade as well. They got Nick Foligno, who is the captain of the Blue Jackets. Uh, 
provide more leadership to this young team. Now they have a plethora of leaders, whether it be John Tavares, Jason Spezza, Joe Thornton, uh, Nick Foligno, uh, to kind of mentor the younger group of Austin Matthews, of Mitch Marner, of William Nylander. Uh, that's what they're doing, really balanced uh, with their veteran and youth, really have a lot going for them in a very winnable north, which they are leading in. Number two, Washington Capitals. Hate to put them this high, but they've won three in a row. They're top of boards of the East. They made the Anthony Mantha trade. They're trying to go all in. Uh, we're going to see what happens in the next coming weeks, if that actually happens or not. Then number one, I have the Colorado Avalanche. Why? Well, they had insurance on maybe their weakest point, their goaltender, Philip Grubauer. They traded for Devin Dubnik. Just as insurance, they've won seven of their past eight. They're the best team of the league, sitting at 62 points in the President's Trophy race. They're playing really, really well. So there you have my top five. Tampa Bay Lightning, Vegas Golden Knights, Toronto Maple Leafs, Washington Capitals, and the Colorado Avalanche. Now, we're heading into the last three weeks of the NHL season. There are some races to watch out for. One of them, to me, is Nashville versus Chicago for the number five spot in the Central, with the Stars being eliminated today because Radulov and Bishop being done in the NHL. They're done for the year. So to me, it's between Nashville and Chicago. Nashville has two points on them. Chicago has a game in hand. They play the Red Wings uh, twice, while the Predators play the Hurricanes. And then the Predators and Blackhawks play three times in a row. That, to me, is going to decide right there who's getting that four spot, who has the upper hand right there, who will win those two games. Chicago Nashville kind of staying pat. Chicago kind of dumping some players, getting picks. What happens then? That series right there, those three games, is going to be the deciding factor to me who gets that spot with both teams having tough schedules after that. The North is set, at least to me, those top four teams. The East, to me, you have the Bruins and the Rangers to me. Philly's out. They all have a tough schedule, but Rangers are above Philly to me. Uh, So it's going to be Boston versus the Rangers. In a great fight to me, Bruins have a little bit more difficult schedule facing the Islanders, facing the Capitals before they have easier teams against the Sabres, whereas the Rangers are facing the Devils now. Then they play the Flyers right above them or right behind them. And so they can win games, get back on track. That's going to be exciting to see who gets the fourth spot there. Can the Rangers catch up and overtake them? Then in the West, I think the only thing we're looking forward to as a Colorado-Vegas showdown, to me it seems inevitable. But for that fourth spot, will it be St. Louis? Will it be the Coyotes? Will it be the Sharks? Uh, who knows? But I do not think it will be the Coyotes. Coyotes are playing right now. In the third period, they're losing 5-1. to one. That's going to put them in a five-game losing streak. Uh, it's not good. They have the easiest schedule of the remaining teams. And when you look at your schedule, you say Blues, Wild, really? 
But then they play the Kings, Sharks, winnable games. Whereas the Blues play the Coyotes, play the Wild, play the Kings, Sharks, same teams. Same with the Sharks as well, but they play the Knights as well. So it really is going to come down to winning games. Arizona does not have the offensive firepower to stay in games. The offensive consistency, they rely too much on their goaltenders of Ronta, Aiden Hill, Darcy Kemper. Ronta coming back today, not looking good. Uh, their defense needs to be way better. Their offense needs to be better. There's a lot of things Arizona needs to fix. And when you look at their record, you see 19-19-5. and five. You maybe look at the things that are only a few things that need fixing, but a lot of things need fixing. They need more goal scorers, more talent on offense. Uh, Oliver ekman Larson is no longer uh, the great defenseman he once was. He's aging. To me, they need a real number one goalie back there, as uh, the Knights have, uh, the Maple Leafs have, the Islanders are looking at having, the Lightning have. Uh, they need a true number one back there, or at least two solid number twos. And to me, Ronta's not the guy. Same with Aiden Hill. He's a little sketchy back there as well. So I don't see the Coyotes doing anything in the coming weeks. But I will still pick two games in the NHL tonight. First one is the Avalanche and the Blues, and I'm rolling with the Avalanche. I don't like it. Don't like picking the Avalanche, but I definitely think they can beat the Blues uh, with the way they've been playing recently. With their lines being spread out, they're just playing really solid all around everybody on that team. Then the Golden Knights and the Kings. I'm picking the Golden Knights to beat the Kings. Uh, Kings just traded Jeff Carter, uh, who meant a lot to that Kings franchise. I do not see the Kings winning that game at all. Now shifting to the MLB, where I just got an alert that the Yankees lost to the Blue Jays. Toronto Blue Jays lost yet another game behind Judge's two solo shots. Uh, Pitching was not good with Kluber, Chad Green. None of them were good. Uh, And who expected this? Who expected to see the Red Sox in first place and Yankees in last? Not me. That was not... What I wanted, that was not what I was thinking. But guess what? There's still 150 games to be played, so who knows? But big action in baseball today. Red Sox and Twins, doubleheader. Red Sox are beating the Twins in that first game right now, bottom of the fifth. And to me, the marquee matchup of the day is the Philadelphia Phillies versus the New York Mets. Uh, Peterson starting for the Mets. Zach Wheeler for the Phillies in pitching. Uh, but the Phillies have been really good this season, uh, this young season. Bryce Harper, JT Real Muto, Didi Gregorius, and they're all playing really well. Reese Hopkins, uh, they're just really, really coming together as a group. Uh, Francisco Lindor has struggled with the Mets so far. Uh, Pete Alonso's been solid, but not his former self. Uh, so we'll see how things shake up. But this will be an exciting matchup to me, the best matchup of the day. Then, 
Finally, lastly, I have to get into the Masters as well. Uh, I love watching the Masters. I didn't do my podcast, and then I forgot last week to do my Masters pick. And I was definitely not going to pick Hideki Matsuyama. I was going to pick Justin Thomas or Jordan Spieth. Uh, None of them won. Or I was going to pick Brooks Kepka. He didn't even make the cut. Uh, Hideki Matsuyama won the Masters. I have to give him credit uh, for winning the Masters. Uh, But he did not play good on Sunday. Sometimes on Sunday you see a player just make a run. Maybe in close, but the top guy. But Hideki did not play good the last round. I believe he had five bogeys, four on the back nine, and four in the last like six or seven holes alone. Uh, he did not play a good Sunday. He kind of carried that Saturday momentum to the trophy. He did not look good Sunday. Uh, but who looked even worse than Hideki was Xander Schauffele. Epic collapse. Right there in striking distance. One behind and he triple bogeyed the last hole. Triple the par three. He didn't have a good final round either, worse than Hideki. He had two bogeys, a double bogey, and a triple bogey on his scorecard. And Xander has to not be feeling good about this at all. Uh, to me, they're talking about Xander, and I believe it too. Xander is the best player to not win a Masters right now. He hasn't actually won a ton of tournaments. In any stretch, uh, and this one hurts too. Uh, to me, Xander's a little reminiscent of Ricky Fowler back in the day. Played really well, is close in majors. Uh, his name's always around there. He just collapses. Can he break through and actually win one? Or if not, he could end up being the next Ricky Fowler. You don't want to be the best player not to win the Masters. Why? Because best players actually win their titles. You saw Sergio get a green jacket. You see players get a monkey off their back. Uh, That's what needs to happen. But you have great players like Will Zalatoris, a young phenomenon of Masters who played great. See what happens from him. It was great to see. Great to have golf back. Uh, Golf Masters Sunday, one of the best sports days in the calendar year. We can check that one off. Uh, We'll have future great sports days just like that coming up. That's today's show. It's nice to get caught up. Nice to be with everybody again. Happy Wednesday. This has been Get Your Goat. Talk to you all soon. Bye, everybody.